You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Bruni-Peters. And this week, we're taking a trip to Sydney's historic Chinatown. Mel spent a lot of time in Chinatown as a kid and has been looking back on those experiences lately. The other day, I went to this great Asian grocer in Preston. And I guess the reason that it stood out was because, you know, I've spent most of my adult life in Tasmania and the Asian grocers over there aren't that great. Um, And this one just had everything. It had like the giant bags of rice and dried goods that are stacked all over the place that you have to kind of like shuffle around and, you know, all of the smells of like dried mushrooms and fish and yeah, the like the shelves were like packed and really tired and just like really fun to, to explore. Um, But one particular thing that really took me back to the Asian grocers in Chinatown that I used to go to with my mom as a kid um, was the bean cake that they had on the counter. So they have this bean cake in these like styrofoam trays that's covered in glad wrap and it's really squishy. And I remember that like as my mom was buying the groceries, I would always like stand at the counter and squish the bean cake. (laughs) (laughs) and we would buy it and we would eat it as well because it's delicious but yeah just the feeling of it was so good through the glad wrap (laughs) and what's your most vivid memory of visiting Chinatown besides the bean cake besides the bean cake yeah well that yeah that really took me back and I was like trying to remember some things about it but definitely my most vivid memory is that like when me and mum would get off the train and walk down towards Chinatown she would she would start this sort of like game or this ritual where she would be like, oh, are you ready for the monkey man? Because there was this man that would wear a monkey mask and he would sit on the garden bed, like just inside the the arches of Chinatown. In my memory, she was like, are you ready for the monkey man? Because he's going to chase us and we have to like run to get away from him and I was like really excited about but also really terrified of this man in a monkey mask it was like this little ritual where we would have to like run away from the man in the monkey mask and then we could go to the food court and get dumplings and go to like you know get shallot buns and bean cake and go to the fabric shop and all the stuff that we would do um and then yeah, in my in my memory of that, well, I was I was questioning my memories of this, and I was like, surely he wouldn't have been allowed to chase mm. us. Like, even though it was the nineties, that still seems like pretty <laughs> not appropriate. And then I was like, was he busking or was he like advertising something? Like, I couldn't remember why he was there Mm. um and then the other thing I was I was wondering was like was mum actually scared of the monkey man or was she just sort of like hamming it up for me to make it into this game (laughs) yeah so I gave my mum a call and I thought I would ask her about some of these details and see if she could clear them up So I wanted to ask you if you remember the monkey man oh yes I do. He was so scary. We would we would get off the train and we would walk down the street towards the arches of Chinatown and you would like mentally prepare me for 
the monkey man chasing us. And I was trying to remember whether, like, you were actually genuinely scared. I was. <laughs> or whether you were just hamming it up for me. I was scared. I remember that. I was scared of him because I had this picture of him chasing us. I really was because I remember thinking, oh, wouldn't that be so scary if he just started chasing us? I don't even remember what he was there for, was he? I don't know. That's the other thing I was going to ask. Do you remember, like, if he was busking or did he have a hat out or something? Because I can't imagine him being allowed to do that these days. No, you're right. You're right. He was he was doing a busking thing. He was just being silly. Right. I'm surprised that the restaurants even put up with having him there. <laughs> but I think people enjoyed it. Yeah, but... He like he legitimately harassed people though, didn't he? Like he would, <laughs> he did. That's right. He used to walk up, like go up to them and like follow them and like oh, that was so scary. I was I was really scared of them. Yeah, I was scared of him. Did he actually ever chase us, or did we just think that he would? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I would have screamed my head off if he had chased us. <laughs> okay. Two years ago, Wing travelled from Melbourne to Sydney to uncover the history of Sydney's Chinatown. Two years ago, when the pandemic was still far away from us, I made a trip from Melbourne to Sydney. I went there with a purpose. I was going there to look for an honour board that had an untold history of Sydney Chinatown. About 100 years ago, Chinatown wasn't just some Chinese business hub. It was also where Chinese parents sent their kids to schools. In Haymarket, there was a church called St. Lawrence Church of Christ. The church had a school and many Chinese parents sent their kids there. The St. Lawrence Church of Christ is on George Street at the heart of Sydney CBD. It was founded in 1840 by the famous businessman Thomas Sutcliffe Mott. He was well known for improving the technique of freezing meat for export. He also established a Christian school for kids related to the St. Lawrence Church. As the school was right next to Chinatown, Many Chinese parents sent their kids to study there. They learned about the Bible, but more importantly, they learned to read and write in English. In the early 20th century, the school set up a scholarship for kids who were academically gifted, and that's when the honor ball was made. Ah, here it is. This is Peter Hack, a member of the Chinese Australian Historical Society. Hack has been researching the history of Chinese merchants in Haymarket. He was also the one who told me about these honor boards. We walked through the church hall. There was a door. We opened it, finding a bridge connecting to another building. I know there are light switches here. That was where the school was. That was the plaque I was telling you about, which shows that um, the school was erected by Thomas Sutcliffe Mort in 1860. 
and specifically the school was for the Chinese education of children of members of the Church of England connected with the parish of St Lawrence. Can you describe what is this room like? There are two rooms that made up the school. This room may be five metres by, by ten metres. There would have been a class in here and there would have been a class in the next room. And as you can see, there are dividers, so the school could have been opened up into quite a large hall. Very high ceilings, which you'd expect from back then. It kept the room cooler in summer. Now, this is very typical of the time of mid-19th century. You have tiles that go up to about chest height. Then you have walls that are painted. You have the picture rails that go around. The doors are painted light blue. The walls are a sort of orangey-yellow. Inside the room, we saw three wooden honour boards on the wall. On there, students and year numbers were coloured in gold. In front of us here, there are two honour boards for the Christchurch schools. And these two honour boards record the recipients of the Mort Scholarship. The first board is 1861 to 1901, and then the second board is 1902 to 1929. Now, most of the names are typically in European names. You look at the surname, Urquhart, Bean, Wilson, Oliver, Hardy, Shaw, Morrison, Richards. But what's really great from the early 20th century, there are some clearly recognisable Chinese names. So on, on the second board, 1950, we've got Norman Fook, 1916, George Wing, then William Wa Sing, 1920, Charles Sing He, 22, William Sing He, and 1923, Sidney Young Lee. So it, it shows that there were Chinese families in the area in the Haymarket or um, Surrey Hills that had a connection to the church who were sending their children here. And not just the sons, because the other honour board over here, we have the girls' prize. And we have the recipients from 1896 to 1923. And again, there are some clearly recognisable Chinese names. 1908, Mary Gi Eek. 1911, Vera Sui, Daisy Gee Eek, 1913, 1922, Mavis Choi York, 1923, Lucy Lee Chun. Most Chinese adopted an anglicised first name, and that's what people often knew them by and called them by. So you might have a merchant, for example, like Li Chun, and that is a name I recognise, you know, 1923, we've got Lucy Li Chun. Now, there was a well-known merchant in Dixon Street. His name was Philip Li Chun. So Li Chun is his, his Chinese name. Li is the surname, and Chun is the first name. And that caused a lot of confusion. To a lot of Europeans, they would have thought, well, that's Mr Chun. <laughs> no, it's Mr Li. His business? was in Dixon Street. He was the first Chinese merchant to move from Campbell Street to Dixon Street, and he had two three-storey buildings erected in 1910. This was the time when the markets moved to that area of the Haymarket, and his business was very traditionally Chinese. It was a produce store that had the usual rice, tea, nuts, 
but they also provided a whole range of other services like translation services, letter writing. Remember, a lot of Chinese here in Australia were illiterate, so they needed someone to write letters to send back home. Remittance services, so that business could arrange for money to be sent back to families in China because they had connections in various villages and towns in Guangdong. They also had a dormitory on the third floor, so people who, Chinese who were in Sydney for business, could stay overnight. Heck's interest in the history of Chinese merchants in Haymarket came when he traced back to his own family history. He found his great-aunt Barbara West was a teacher at St. Lawrence Christian School from 1902. She worked at the school for a decade. She was loved by the Chinese students and friends with their parents. When she quit her job and got married in 1912, she received a silver teapot and a silver butter dish from the Chinese students. These would have been expensive gifts back into those days. Um, I'm sure she could have had a choice of many schools where she could have taught. I think she deliberately chose Christchurch St. Lawrence because there are a lot of Chinese children who went to that school. And I think she chose that because she posed the current discriminatory immigration legislation, discriminated against Chinese migrants and restricted their entry. So I should tell you something about her. Her father owned a newspaper called the Cumberland Times. It still exists today, but it's passed through many hands uh, since then. The Cumberland Times supported federation, free trade. It also supported the government of Sir Henry Parks, who introduced restrictive legislation against Chinese migration in 1888. I suspect that my great aunt argued and disagreed with her father and government policy about discriminating against Chinese migrants. And I think in defiance of her father, she chose to teach at Christchurch St Lawrence and she chose to teach classes that had always had a few Chinese students in them from the Haymarket and Surrey Hills area. One significant Chinese student that she taught was William Liu. He was born in 1893. In 1900, he was sent back to China for a traditional Chinese education which is something that happened quite a lot with some families. And so for eight years, he was only speaking and writing Chinese. He returned in 1908, and in 1909, at the age of 16, he went to Christchurch St Lawrence for a year to relearn and polish up his English speaking and writing. William went on to high school. He went on to college to learn secretarial skills. He studied shorthand, typewriting, accounting, commercial law, those sorts of subjects. In 1912, the Reverend John Young Wei at the Chinese Presbyterian Church introduced William Liu to the Chinese consul uh, who was visiting Sydney from Melbourne. The consul general was looking for a new English-speaking secretary and William Liu got the job. And so he worked at the consulate in Melbourne from 1912 to 1914 and that was his introduction to what we commonly call the White Australia Policy, Australia's discriminatory immigration legislation. And that started a lifelong campaign to get that legislation changed. 
Most of his working life, he was a manager at Winsang in Sydney's Haymarket, one of the uh, merchant firms. He was also instrumental in getting the Sun Company department store in Shanghai established. After our visit to St. Lawrence Church, Heck and I wandered around Haymarket. There are so many old buildings here. What have been some government action in protesting them recently, do you know? Well, take for example the Ultimo Hotel, the old Wing-On building. Uh, it's now a hotel, but they were required to keep the structure. Right? They can't alter the structure, they can't alter the outside facade, and they can't demolish any of the interior walls. So uh, this is UTS Haymarket, so very modern university building, but they would have been required, there would have been a heritage order on the outside facade that could not be demolished, they, they had to maintain it. This is now a, um, you know, it's a shopping mall, the interior, but this used to be the fruit market, which opened in 1909. The fruit market moved here from, from further east. It moved to this hay market area. Uh, so, so the original vegetable market opened in 1909. UTS hay market, those buildings where we saw the facade, that, that, that was a fruit market, and that opened the next year, 1910. And you remember Lee Chun, we talked about, Philip Lee Chun, he was the first to open a business in Dixon Street, just around the corner, uh, and, and he had those buildings erected in 1910. So he was the first to move here with the new markets. And we can walk around and have a look, uh, I'll yep. show you. The buildings today, they look a bit run down and dilapidated, but it is one of the last remaining premises of that type of uh, Chinese business. Heck and I walk into Chinatown, which is on Dixon Street. So these are the two three-storey buildings. They, they look very old and run down. It's uh, 84 and 82. Uh, one is called Live Crab Center Tea House. Yeah. And the other one is a Chinese restaurant. For a long time it was a Chinese restaurant. Uh, they've both been closed for a long time now. The, there is a interim heritage order on both buildings, but they need a lot, a lot of work. That is the original Edwardian shop front. And I've seen those sorts, that sort of Edwardian, Edwardian shop front uh, in London. The top floor of 84 was the dormitory. This business called Kuanghua Chong, it was a traditional Chinese business. It was a produce store, you know, that sold the usual rice, tea, ginger, nuts. But they provided a lot of other services for the Chinese community, including translation, legal services, like they helped the market gardeners negotiate leases, remittances. It was here you could go to have money sent back to your family in China. And they also had a dormitory on the third floor, the top floor. The other interesting thing you could organise here is 
bone repatriation. It was very important for a lot of Chinese, after they passed away, to have their bones taken back to the home village. And that service could be organised here. Sometimes people who died in Australia, uh, they were buried and after a certain number of years, the bones were exhumed, cleaned and shipped back to the village where the person came from. They also organised paperwork under the uh, White Australia Policy, the Immigration Restriction Act, and that paperwork was for things like exemptions from the dictation test. So they could arrange all the paperwork to facilitate um, going back to China and returning to Australia without difficulty. This was the first Chinese business to move here and open in Dixon Street. In the story of these three honor boys, we can learn about the life of Chinese migrants in the early 20th century. The Chinese migrants in Sydney sent their kids to attend Christian schools, equipped them with skills to do business in Australia. Their business created Sydney's famous Chinatown, and their contribution should always be remembered. During COVID-19 lockdowns, Chinatowns in both Sydney and Melbourne became empty and quiet. Will Chinatowns in both Sydney and Melbourne return to their old glory? Let's wait and see. That story was produced by Wing Kuang. Mel Chun was the supervising producer. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Veroni-Peters. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pay you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. Sharpen your audio storytelling skills with us this December in our free online masterclass series featuring some very special award-winning industry guests. For more info, head to facebook.com forward slash allthebestradio. In our next story, Yuan talks about her experience visiting a Chinese food festival in Melbourne. We are social animals. We always need to participate in many social activities. When we become a member of the community, we can have fun, we can meet new friends and have new experience. Recently, I have been spending time at a new food festival in Melbourne's Chinatown. It feels good to be back in a crowd after a pandemic. I watch other people gathering around, chatting and enjoying the food, and I wonder if they are feeling the same. I think eating good food can make me forget my trouble. There will be many, many delicious foods and the streets will be very lively. The food is relatively concentrated, rich in variety and many choices. Happening late in Chinatown, 
It's a narrow street. There isn't a lot of space. But every Friday and Saturday, the alley is crowded with people and it is very lively. Like everyone else, international student Halloway is here to enjoy the food. But I wonder what else brings her here. Many of the foods here are familiar to me due to the epidemic. Um, we have been restricted from many daily activities, such as daily gatherings and normal outings to make friends. So I haven't returned to China for a long time, and I miss China very much. When I saw such a street, I was very excited because the feeling of the street is very familiar. It can be seen that although different countries have different food culture, everyone is willing to try some delicious food. We can also see some great food venting out of the smoke, dumpling and noodles being submerged in steam, and also accompanied by the aroma of seasonings. Some snacks are very sweet, and people's satisfaction can be seen because of the food they like to eat. Also, the hawker style sales are unusual in Melbourne. The hawker style refers to people who sell things on the street. They usually sell some comedies and snacks. They are low cost and low profit vendors. In Melbourne, shops and restaurants are neatly organized one after another. The street vendors add to the allure sound, colors, and smells of the festival and remind Helen and others home. The festival organizers are doing everything they can to make it safe, and everyone is willing to take the small risk for the community to be back in a crown, enjoy each other's company and good food.、Uh, we have experienced the epidemic for a long time, and people are engaged to help such a lev- lovely place. Uh, where people can come out to make new friends and eat snacks. Also, there are people from different countries, so I think this is the meaning of this sharing food activity. There are many people coming every time, and there will be more people because of the communication between people who know this food street activity. As a frequent visitor to this food festival, Helen Wei met one of the vendors and met friends. First of all, I met some friends from different countries, and we all like to eat barbecues sold by one of the vendors. He made this food through the influence of the Asian people around him. He thought it was very delicious. He also said that he was really lucky to make something for more people to eat. I'm also very fortunate that these kind of events can be held. I'm really happy with all the interesting people and things I have encountered because of it. Although Heavenly's Lane is not particular long street, this street changes the situation every Friday and Saturday night. It is extremely lively. The bright red paper lanterns hung in long, undulating street on either side of the narrow street of Chinatown, give a warm glow to decorated stores with their stack of delicious food. As the epidemic is gradually controlled, I also believe that this kind of street vendors activity will increase, and different eating cultures will attract more and more people. Melbourne has been quiet for too long. The holding of Chinatown events made the city feel alive and real again. Cause we can talk to people, and the voice of words also made city full of the vitality. That story was produced by audio journalism student Yuan Wang. 
as part of All the Best's 2021 collaboration with the University of Melbourne and the Science Gallery. Mel Chun was the supervising producer. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Emma Pham is our social media producer. Our community and events coordinator is Lydia Yosefova and Wing Kwang is the All the Best mentee producer. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.